Hey there. Welcome to the Fleet FYS podcast, the weekly podcast by Utilimark that reveals how you can make the most of your data for smarter fleet management. My name is Gretchen, and every week you'll hear from me or some of the industry's finest in candid conversations that will not only shed some light on over two decades worth of fleet data insights, but also some of the industry's hottest talking points and key metric analysis with the aim to help you better understand your fleet from every angle. But before we begin, if this is the first time you've heard our show, thanks for stopping by. I'm so glad you decided to come along for the ride with us. But I've got a quick favor to ask you. Once you finish today's episode, if you could take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform, we would really appreciate it. Give us a rating, five stars, I hope, or tell us what you liked or leave us a comment or a question about what you've heard in today's episode. If we haven't yet covered a topic that you're interested in hearing more about, let us know. We would be happy to go over it in detail in a later show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fleet FYI's podcast. How are you all doing today? I hope you're doing well. I'm feeling quite nice and refreshed after a week of holiday last week, and now that I'm back at recording my favorite show to record. Today we're chatting about what I think is a rather interesting topic, and I'm surprised that the conversation surrounding this particular thing isn't more common, or as some might say, mainstream. As you can probably tell from the title of this episode, we are talking about microgrids, what they are, what the history surrounding them is, as well as why we will likely see more of them popping up rather quickly in the future. At least I think so. But before I start rambling, like we all know, I sometimes tend to do, let's get into the show. So microgrids, what are they really? Well, to put it simply, a microgrid is a local energy grid with control capability, which means it can disconnect from the traditional grid and operate autonomously. Now, if you want to dig a little bit deeper, which we all know I love to do on this show, a microgrid is a decentralized group of electricity sources and loads that normally operates connected to and synchronized with the traditional wide area grid. But a microgrid connects to the grid at a point of common coupling that maintains voltage at the same level as the main grid unless there is some sort of a problem on that main grid piece or other reason to disconnect. How many times can you say grid in one sentence? Well, I might be able to do you one more. (laughs) A switch can separate the microgrid from the main grid automatically or manually, and then it functions as an island, conditionally dependent, of course. Microgrids can run power sources, both renewable and non-renewable, so we're talking about coal or natural gas, or with sustainability on the mind, we're starting to see a lot of these microgrids seeing the opportunity to be run by solar, wind, or hydropower. Personally, I think the best way to really understand how a microgrid works, though, is to actually take a look at how the main electrical grid works as well. 
The grid itself connects homes, businesses, and other buildings to a central power source. This I'm sure you probably know at this point. Um, it can be multiple power sources or one. Like I said, there's many ways that a grid can create and maintain an energy flow. And this then allows us to use appliances or heating and cooling systems or electronics or basically anything that operates by being plugged into a power source either on your wall or, you know, again, that attaches to the power grid itself. But this interconnectedness can be both a blessing and a curse. It means that when part of the grid needs to be repaired, everyone can be affected. That being said, though, this is where microgrids can prove to be incredibly useful. Microgrids have typically been used as a resource in emergency weather conditions in places prone to power outages. Think your hurricane areas in the U.S. or if you're in a very windy area like Tornado Alley or, you know, even like the UK right now, <laughs> experiencing Storm Eunice, um, you know, you have places that are prone to power outages and also, you know, even in remote areas without grid access or that off-the-grid living style like sometimes you will hear about. Recently, however, they're starting to pop up with more frequency in city environments, urban environments, um, like at hospitals and universities, and they can actually be used to cut costs or connect to a local resource that is too small or unreliable for traditional grid use. Microgrid also allows communities to be more energy independent and, in some cases, more environmentally friendly. Now, not only does this give organizations the advantage of using only clean electricity should they choose, again, going back to that how they get their electricity piece, but it's also reassuring to know that local hospitals, fire stations, or grocery stores could potentially be covered in the case of power outages. That's a pretty big thing right there. One example of a microgrid currently in use is that of our very own Jersey City. Our very own meaning New Jersey in the U.S., not necessarily in Minnesota. I hope you're following my train of thought here. As part of Jersey City's Energy Savings Improvement Program, the city is set to build the first self-sustainable municipal microgrid in the country. That is a serious tongue twister if you say that five times fast. Wow. <laughs> the microgrid will make use of a 1.2 megawatt solar panel array installed in 2020 and is expected to save taxpayers over $21 million in its first two decades of operation. It will power critical city facilities as well as the municipal EV fleet and EV garbage trucks. Kind of fascinating if you look at it that way. Jersey City was the first city on the East Coast to deploy five all-electric rear-loader refuse trucks in 2020 as part of Mayor Stephen M. Phillips' executive order to fully electrify the municipal fleet by 2030. And along with these electric garbage trucks, the order includes adopting four new electric police vehicles, 24 charging stations for municipal and public use, and the first EV-only parking zones in New Jersey itself. Now, this solar-powered microgrid will set a promising precedent for the city going forward, ensuring that the vehicles are emission-free from charging to driving, that whole wells-to-wheels solution, if you remember from a previous episode, which is called, Will We Ever Flee, F Flee Fleets? 
free fleets from fossil fuels. I still can't say that, even though it's been weeks since we recorded that episode. Wowza. Anyways, if you haven't heard that episode yet, I highly suggest you add it to your queue going forward and you take a listen, and then also try and say the title five times fast, because I still can't do that clearly. (laughs) But anyways, back to my point. The energy savings program that Jersey City has implemented and the microgrid proposal is being developed by Schneider Electric with adjacent plans to add more micro or to add more rooftop solar panels, LED lighting, and other infrastructure updates at 22 city facilities. All in all, these measures will serve to keep public facilities running throughout emergencies with a 100% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, which we know is pretty big, especially right now, and without the need to rely on the larger grid. Now, today, New Jersey is touted as one of the greenest states in the entirety of the U.S. in terms of energy efficiency and sustainability initiatives. This has come to be in the horrific and impactful aftermath of Superstorm Sandy in 2012. And in addition to being one of the costliest storms in U.S. history, Sandy left over 8 million people in New Jersey and neighboring states without power for weeks. Now, as a result, the state immediately invested $5 billion into infrastructure upgrades and has since since launched initiatives like the Town Center Distributed Energy Resources Microgrid Program to explore ways of protecting important facilities from mass power outages that can cause a massive headache, especially if you're out of power for weeks. I mean, that's catastrophic on any level, not just after a storm. The microgrid program has analyzed and identified 24 town centers in the most sandy-affected counties in New Jersey for microgrid feasibility. While most of these grids will run on fossil fuels initially, the development is meant to be a first step towards establishing resilience and sustainability until fully renewable power becomes more attainable. So when we look at the future, why do I think we'll start to see more of these microgrids popping up all over the place? Well, going back to the example of Hurricane Sandy, I mean, I think it's kind of self-explanatory there. I mean, it definitely is a fantastic option in case of emergency where you have something that is not interconnected or at least doesn't have to be interconnected with the main grid and you're still able to, say, overflow extra power into the main grid if need be, or you can operate autonomously if you also need to. But also in the case of municipality fleets around the country that are in the process of electrifying, Jersey City sets an example of of what could come next. At this point, we know that despite the promise of zero tailpipe emissions, the sustainability of electric vehicles ultimately comes down to the electricity powering them. It's kind of common sense, you would think, right? As long as EVs are charged on coal or fossil fuel-based grids, they will not be able to demonstrate truly their true potential as a zero emission alternative to internal combustion engine vehicles. It's kind of the concept of moving emissions around rather than fully getting rid of them. They're no longer coming from the tailpipe, but they could come from charging your vehicles, which isn't great. We'll also begin to see them as a cost reduction strategy and a way to take the pressure off of the main grid as we turn to renewable electricity and, quite frankly, higher electric use in future. I mean, as we all start to electrify, that's going to go up. And as our society is becoming increasingly technology dependent, makes sense. And a quick, quick fun fact for you. In addition to a 100% reduction in fleet greenhouse gases, renewably powered microgrids can actually offer fleets major savings on fuel. 
that can probably, the dots can be connected there pretty easily, right? But anyways, microgrids can help fleets overcome many of the barriers to adoption, such as capital-intensive upgrades of local infrastructure and a general inability to handle higher demand. As with many sustainability initiatives, however, a major investment will be needed from fleets hoping to achieve the long-term value in a microgrid and EV fleet plan. So it's not a low-cost solution, but it is a potential solution that will pay out over a longer period of time. But I'd love to hear what you think. Were you familiar with microgrids before today? Did you know what they were used for or even why they could be seen more in the future? Let me know. Send me an email. Tag me on LinkedIn. Use the hashtag UtilamarkFleetFYIs. Or as per usual, you can go old-fashioned and send me a carrier pigeon. I don't mind. But make sure you tune in for the next episode of Fleet FYIs next week. Until next time, ciao. Hey there, I think this is the time that I should cue the virtual high five because you've just finished listening to another episode of the Fleet FYIs podcast. If you're already wanting more content, head over to utilimark.com, which is utilimark with a C, U-T-I-L-I-M-A-R-C.com for this episode's show notes and extra insights coming straight from our analysts to you. That's all from me this week. So until next time, I'll catch you later.